Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. With you for the next 60 minutes, there's a special edition as we get ready for the Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So all 32 teams' focus will turn to Indianapolis. We're not going to be able to take your phone calls throughout the course of this program, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to unravel all of the major NFL storylines that will be coming to the forefront. And who better to dig deep into those storylines than a man who has been covering the NFL for decades, a colleague of mine on Sirius XM NFL Radio. He covers the league now in the Buffalo Bills for WGRZ-TV in Buffalo, none other than Vic Carucci. Vic, long time no talk. We only spoke about a few days ago, but it's good to see you. Greatly appreciate the time. How's everything on your end? Everything's great and always enjoy the chance uh, for us to work together on Sirius and and pretty much any platform, but great to be with you. Great to be with you, Paul. Absolutely. Vic, I want to start with the Giants connection before we branch out because you have a very unique background that could perhaps provide some insight in terms of Joe Shane and Brian Dable's approach because you saw firsthand what Brandon Bean and the two of them did in Buffalo. Not to say Daniel Jones and Josh Allen are equivalent resume-wise, but Allen did get an extension after a breakout third year in the NFL in 2020. Jones, it took a little bit longer, but he's coming off by far his most productive year within the confines of this offense. What did you see in Buffalo in terms of their approach with Josh Allen and the patience and what they saw in that third year that may indicate what Kane and Dable's thinking is in terms of a new contract for Daniel Jones? Yeah, so the biggest difference I think that needs to be brought up in the discussion of any comparison is that, of course, when the Bills drafted Allen in 2017, Brandon Bean uh, and Joe Shane was, of course, part of that that staff, that personnel staff, but they were focused and Brandon was singularly focused that he had his guy as the uh, franchise quarterback for many years to come that they obviously moved up, made sure they were snagging him as they did seventh overall pick. Uh, It was the year of that quarterback draft 2018. 
and they identified him as being in their mind head and shoulders uh, above the rest and when i say they especially brandon b so when you start with that foundation of the group that's going to be with him right along uh that's a big that's a that's a big factor relative to your future plans because your commitment is already established in the case of the giants that commitment really wasn't and, and couldn't have been realistically in place when Joe Shane, Brian Dayball took over that program. They had to see what they had. He was there. They inherited him. But that's a far different story than picking him. So start with that. And then in terms of how it evolved, uh, it was a case where incremental steps were made from 18 forward with uh, Josh Allen uh, had in many ways, a typical kind of rookie year was not thrown on the field immediately, but eventually gets out there and, and takes the, the lumps that go with being a rookie. And then the 19 season, you saw more progress, but you also saw a guy in the playoffs kind of did a little bit of a meltdown at Houston because he just wasn't ready for that, got into the hero ball thing, all of that. But nonetheless, they saw the progress. And and then in 20, as that, you know, I mean, after that 19 season and into 20, um, there was still the, the feeling that he's the guy to the point where they were doing the anticipatory thing uh, with him. And, and then, of course, he's taken off like a rocket in the 20 season to do that extension with him. There was never a doubt. There was never a doubt um, about that, about committing to him long term. Obviously, the doubts were lingering there with Daniel Jones. But the, the plus side of that story is you have a guy that they inherited, but a guy who proved himself unequivocally, I think, to them that they had something to work with. I think they thought that. I don't, I'm not trying to share that I know this intimately, because how could how could I know and how could they say that realistically before this past season? But here's a guy who took that opportunity to convince new evaluators what he's about. Vic, let's stick with Daniel Jones for a second. A lot has been made here in the New York market, specifically by the fan base, about the fact that he just recently changed agents right in the middle of this negotiation. Now, you and I have been around this game a long time. Lance, too. We know that agents will be changed in and out uh, on, on kind of a frequent basis, and there can be a lot of reasons for that. It doesn't necessarily mean that Daniel Jones is being greedy, wants more money, and is going to have a harder time getting the deal done, does it? I don't think so, Paul. I think it has more to do with a longer vision of how his career is being managed. I, I think there's many reasons a, a player will make such decisions. Um, and it doesn't always just come down to, well, this representative will get me more money than that representative. Agents... It, and you know, it wasn't like he was working with with someone who was new or green to the situation. I, agents know the market. It's it's spelled out so plainly to uh, all of us. You don't have to be an agent to understand what the what the market is. For instance, for a quarterback um, or or any position, because you're you're bombarded with that information. It's accessible to all of us, right? So I I think it had maybe much more to do with a plan, a longer term plan, how to approach uh, the negotiation, say, and, and the structure of not only how these talks would go, but again, how a deal would be put together uh, that spoke to how 
and Daniel Jones, who I get the sense, I can't, can't I'm not going to pretend like I know how his mind works, but I, I think he's a thinker. I think he's someone who has ideas, true ideas of how he wants to sort of see it. And, and it feels to me like he found the common ground with new representative, mm -hmm. new representation. Vic, speaking of the financial dynamics, as you're well aware, I think from the fan standpoint, when it comes to a team negotiating with a quarterback, the common sense is, well, the quarterback should do everything in his power to look out for the health of the salary cap and make sure there's some money left over so the team can actually surround him with talent. And I think that's obviously a big conversation for the Giants as they look to upgrade the wide receiver core and the skill positions around Daniel Jones. You've been covering various different negotiations. Josh Allen, when he got his deal, once again, not to say it was equivalent to Daniel, but he set a new bar with guaranteed money. And he was right up there with Mahomes, right, in terms of average annual salary. What I'm getting at is how much do you think the onus is on a high-profile position like a quarterback to say, I've got to look out for myself, but I also, most importantly, need to look out for the well-being of the GM and the cap expert's job of looking out for what's left over salary cap-wise? Honestly, I don't think it's something the player can really worry himself with. And I'm not trying to suggest be selfish, you know, go sure. get all you can for you. But you do get potentially only one bite at this apple. And it's an incredible apple for any player, but especially for that quarterback position. You need to go into it first and foremost with the thoughts of what is going to be best for you for your value, you know, and, and especially when it's your first opportunity, this is a different discussion. If you're and how, how many times with Tom Brady and the Patriots, was there that sense that as he was going on to contracts, two, three or four, however many it was in the time, 20 something years, you, that's, a, you know, multiple contracts and, and, and it's rare. We, we, you know, if a player gets a second contract, that's a, that's a big deal. And that might be it. Um, and, but it's a different deal where now that quarterback is looking at the surrounding situation. He's he obviously wants to be there. He senses something's been built to give long term sustainable success. Daniel Jones and the Giants are still in the early stages of all of this. Um, yes, they had a great first year, but there is much more work to do. And, you know, the growth of the head coach is right with this Brian Dable, the growth of Joe Shane as a GM. I mean, they're, these are experiences that they're that they're having now and, and building upon. And, of course, they've got to see the big picture. But for Daniel Jones' sake, he's, his position, I think, should be it's your job to figure out your being the, the, the GM coach, ownership, whatever. Figure out how the, how the bigger picture looks and then how my deal fits into it with my value. I, I find it hard to think that he would say, well, let's 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 hold me down here to make sure all these pieces are around because how could he really know how it's going to come together? I think I think time has to speak to that. So I think this contract would very likely be to the to the level of, you know, if, if there's an agreement, I mean they reach an agreement and I think I think they're going to, but I mean I think the agreement is going to be um very much one where he doesn't have the misgiving of leaving money on the table, you know, because while well, it's great for the team, I, he wants the best for the team and he wants to find that success. 
Um, but it's on them. I think, you know, it's on the people whose job is to, to handle that to figure it out. Well, part of the way to figure that out, Vic, is obviously using the, the franchise tag, whether it's exclusive or non-exclusive. From your perspective and talking to people around the league, what is the value or the market of a Daniel Jones? Should the Giants uh, not be able to sign him to a multi-year contract and have to use the tag? Let's suppose it's the non-exclusive, which then allows him to talk to other people. What what kind of interest do you think he's going to draw? Well, um, I, I would first of all, I I think they're going to protect their asset here. You you don't mess with a quarterback you think is your guy because the the harder the question you have to a- answer when you ask that question, who are who are they going to get? You know, who is the alternative right. to what they have? I don't see one. It's I think it is Daniel Jones for bust. But if Daniel Jones had been a bust in the 2022 season, okay, you're still now you're still back at the drawing board. I mean, he was they did not go into 2022 at least to my way of seeing it from the outside with the idea that they knew he was going to be what he was. You, you don't pick up the, you know, obviously that uh that option year with the idea that you better prove it. Well, he did his part. So now it's up to you to finish the rest of that story, which is uh, figuring out how to best protect your rights to him, try to figure out a deal. All all, all a tag does, and, and I don't see anything other than the exclusive one, is kicks the can down the road for you to just buy time and give you a chance to find that right number. And as far as that number goes, Paul, I, I think it's, I think it's all about the market, the marketplace, and and as it's defined by guaranteed money, we will get caught up in the average, you know, average number and make a big deal about that. And what does that average number mean? It, right. it doesn't mean it doesn't mean a thing because as over the course of six years or ten years, however long that, and and obviously the longer the deal, the more you're able to make it cap friendlier and give you options going forward. That's the other, that's the purpose of that. But it's your, uh, what, what that player wants, what his representation is going to you know encourage is guaranteed money. And then what are the, what are the comps? Um, and you have a, a, a Derek Carr negotiating now different spots comparing him with Daniel Jones, but it's going to be in the discussion. Um, I don't want to necessarily say Lamar Jackson is any kind of comparison just because of how those negotiations have gone. And if we're hearing the right things about the amount of guaranteed money that's been offered him, but this is also a guy who's been an MVP, you know, a guy who's, who has many more, uh, much more in the way of, of accomplished career. Uh, but, and then, uh, and, and at the very, you know, I don't know if he's at the very top, but you know, what's going to happen with an Aaron Rodgers? we're going to see quarterback movement that is going to, I think, that is going to influence how quarterback payment is seen. And yes, you have different discussions with players at different phases, but but here's the common threat. He's your franchise guy. What is a franchise guy worth to mm-hmm. your franchise? Especially if the alternative option is the land of the unknown in the draft. As you can see, Vic, I mean, you go back to Josh Allen's class, for example. I love to bring up this as one that puts things in perspective, there were four teams, Vic, that picked in the top 10 in 2018. They all went in thinking, we're going to find our franchise guy, right? The Browns take Baker Mayfield. The Jets take Sam Darnold. The Cardinals take Josh Rosen. 
the Bills, Josh Allen. Allen's the last one standing. I know Lamar right. went later on in the first round, but four teams thought they would have a solidification at the most important position. And we're talking, what, five years down the road, you got three teams back to square one. Exactly. I mean, it is uh, pretty amazing how it worked out and and how it, and it just shows you, Lance, how teams see things differently. Scouting staffs, um, there is no set formula. I, I mean, I think there's wisdom to be gained in studying uh, what some of the best have done and what Hall of Famers who pick players have done. Um, but the evolution of of this sport, especially at the college level, I think has made it more difficult. And then when you deal with program sizes, and I think the real wild card with Josh, for instance, Wyoming, um, a program that didn't have a lot of refined co quarterback coaching or passing uh, a, a passing game, and he was raw as could be, and it was up to Brandon Bean, up to the personnel staff, Sean McDermott, everybody who had, had a voice in it to see uh, beyond the rawness and have that vision of what the NFL uh, Josh Allen would ultimately look like. And I'll tell you what, and you know this, Paul knows this, through the first couple of years, it was, hey, he's looking a lot like that rough, inaccurate guy. Um, and and it's, it's amazing. He's going to go down, I think, as one of the amazing stories as – Someone who who took college inaccuracy and became far more accurate as a pro. It generally doesn't happen. That's at least been a rule of thumb. It can. I mean, if you if you give it the ten thousand hours and all of that, and he did, you know, worked with Jordan Palmer, worked with Brian Dayball, worked with Ken Dorsey. Who and 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 something else for Josh, they weren't the first two. He, he had a you know they he he had new coaching. I mean, that changed in the time that he was with the Bills. And here Dayball comes along. That one year in Alabama, where I think he learned a lot about RPO game, how he how he incorporated that with Josh's rushing skills, those were all transformative and helpful things. I'm not saying they were the secret sauce to Josh being what Josh is. That's Josh. That's his talent, and it's a, and it also had to be his willingness to work at it. And and it applies to Daniel Jones. It applies to every quarterback. But let's talk about Jones. The other decision, or or I should say, the other factor, big factor in the decision process that um, the Giants are going to make is seeing beyond 2023, seeing five, six, 10 years down the road, because when you put that kind of money into it, and this is a commitment to a quarterback that this franchise hasn't made in a long time, right, guys? Um, that you you do that. I mean, you're, you're still... It's still risky and it's still a guessing game. I mean, it's not foolproof, but you'd better have a lot of confidence that he is not only going to just blossom because he's been blessed to blossom, it's because he's responding to the coaching. He understands what you want, what you see, and what you're going to get out of him, and that this is a, a combined long-term marriage of coach and quarterback. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs, 
Yeah, like check out these hair. I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Your head. <laughs> hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but. All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Vic, let me go from the franchise quarterback to the franchise running back. And as you know, many people have now lessen the value of a franchise running back because they talk about his longevity capabilities and his durability. And the durability factor does come into play with Saquon Barkley. Obviously, had a a couple of devastating injuries. He's come back from them. He's done well. But there will be those who say, well, if you have to use the tag on Daniel Jones, that creates a real conundrum because now you've got to find that appropriate value for a running back who has shown the ability to get hurt, but also bounce back from injury. This becomes a very sticky situation, which is obviously why the Giants would rather tag Barkley than Jones. Right. Um, I, I That's the way I would see it, too. Uh, again, easy to say from the outside, but uh, it, it feels like every effort to get a long-term deal done with the quarterback should be job one AAA. And it should be done, too, with – not should. It's going to be done, too, with the bigger picture of how then your cap is going to look to do other things. And the Barkley situation, it is interesting because when healthy, we know the value. And, and by the way, Daniel Jones knows that value, too. He's a, He is a better quarterback, just like any other quarterback, when you've got some kind of running threat. I, I don't – see though the model that say the titans have tried to use with the whole derrick henry being their most important and best player and carrying the load for them i think that only gets you so far it i don't think it works in today's nfl and this just in right but you you better have that guy under center behind center and you better um and and then everything else better complement that and it does feel to me like you could even move on from a Saquon Barkley. And I, I don't want that to sound blasphemous for Giants fans who are saying, what is he, crazy? I, I don't think it's crazy if you can identify well enough either in this draft, free agency, or, or or I should say like undrafted free agency. Running backs are can can be acquired and can be good for you. And as long as you've got the other components, how much trust do you have in your O-line to give you some kind of a consistent presence of running game balance. Um, so you have to look at it, I think, through a broader lens. I'm glad you went there, Vic, even though maybe the fans don't want to think about that hypothetical. I'll go there with you to the dark side about perhaps the viewpoint of life without Saquon Barkley. And maybe not an ideal comparison, but Buffalo's usage of running backs, as you can attest to, Sometimes a bit of a head scratcher. Sometimes we've seen them completely abandon the run game. And let's face it, when Shane was there under Brandon Bean, you talk about Devin Singletary, Zach Moss. It's not like they went out 
Vic, my point is, and really invested high resources into that position. Now, in fairness, I don't think they ever had a guy with Saquon's skill set. So maybe it's a little bit different. But how much do you think Brandon Bean's viewpoint, the organization's viewpoint of how they attack the running game now influences how he thinks about whether or not Saquon's worth a second contract? I think it will have some influence um, for sure, because, you know, a lot of what he's applying, he learned there, but he's his own man. Joe Shane is his own man for sure. sure. Let's, let's, let's make that very clear. His he's learned from others. I mean, he wasn't, it wasn't just Brandon Bean as his mentor. Um, and, and it wasn't like I got to be him or do everything exactly as he did it. That, that just the, the Joe Shane I know doesn't really operate that way at all. He's got a lot of independent thought as he should. Uh, and he was hired for that reason. I mean, I don't think you hire a clone. And, and if you hire someone who gives you that impression, you're going to be disappointed because he probably isn't the person he's trying to imitate and he's not himself. So let's get that out of the way. But as far as running back philosophy and the position, um, the Bills are still struggling to figure that out. It's Devin Singletary, you know, in, in all likelihood, I think they're going to let him walk. Could he end up as a giant? You know, maybe he does. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see if you want to see touchstones between the Giants and the Bills. That could be one, along with possibly others uh, that are uh, for a team that's about sixteen million over the cap. There's gonna there's gonna be a lot of moving on from people. It, there has to be for them to get get under the cap, uh, and that's got to happen soon. Um, so, I I think the Bills still need to address it. Running back could factor into what they do in this draft, or again in free agency on draft free agency something. Um, because they've, they've got James Cook, but they need a slammer. They need somebody with more power and explosiveness. So that's still a lingering thing. And it speaks to, you know, the improvement of that, uh, the necessity there speaks to how much more they're going to get out of Josh Allen. You know, how, how, much, how, how much better he can be when he's got that, that running game and how much of a struggle he had, especially through the second half of last year where that running game was waning. And, and the line comes into play with that as well. So, uh, I again, I think it's more of a blanket thought here than a specific one, but I think the, the Giants, obviously, Joe Shane, Dayball, would, would be looking at the running back position. You, you know, you've got one healthy, one of the very best, but you can't rely on that consistent health availability and the cost that goes with a veteran. And I think, I think the ceiling gets busted through very much quicker with running backs we've seen. And it's very, look at the entire landscape of the league. Who has that quote franchise back? Tennessee Titans. Okay. Vikings got, got a pretty good guy and Dalvin cook. Um, you know, you can go down the list and find some good ones and some teams that have some, some really good, good running backs, but tell me a team that's more reliant on that than their quarterback. Not, not many. None. Well, maybe San Francisco. <laughs> well, well, San Francisco, and, and but that was out of necessity too. That, yes. That came out, right. I mean, you're right. San, I I won't discount San Francisco absolutely, and and the Kyle Shanahan scheme, but that was tailored to what they had or didn't have, and and that was just such a crazy year. They didn't know that. I guess they you argue they didn't know their quarterback going into the year, let alone what they had to have when they were into the postseason. They also Wait, used multiple about- guys too as opposed yeah. to just one, yeah. even though they just got Christian McCaffrey. 
But exactly. Yes. Vic, the other position that kind of fits into this equation for the Giants at wide receiver, they don't have an alpha at receiver. And we know that when Dayball was the offensive coordinator up in, in Buffalo and Shane was part of that front office, they went and made a big deal with draft capital against Stephon Diggs. The Giants need an alpha receiver. How do you suppose their inclination is going to be to get one? Well, you, you better. I mean, you got to have that guy. I, I, where do you get him? Um, yeah, it, it, I, I think you start – you think draft this this appears to be one where there are some some good players that are going to be available however you maneuver to do that how much of a priority do you put on that but i think i think that has to be high on the list uh and that is something that obviously that joe saw from from the end day ball from the bills and how transformative that was to Allen. first identify that you got the guy that can throw the rock and, and you know, and make that make that asset at receiver good. It's not the other way around. You you don't you you have to have step one is quarterback. Step two is is the receiver. I think, and they know, and I believe they think that way. Um, but yeah, when Stefan Diggs came aboard and what they gave up, and and uh, Bean's thought process on that was he was our first round pick that year when they didn't have a first round pick. They you know giving up the the, the uh, high asset to get him they felt was worth everything and and it's proven to be because he's been their best. Now their problem is they don't have a second best honestly. They're lacking the drop off from him which they didn't think would be as great but seemed to manifest itself as Gabe Davis did not deliver the way they thought he would. Especially after that huge performance against the Chiefs in the playoffs the previous year. A related note to that Vic, I think we've had this conversation on this program if you don't re-sign the explosive running back, and you look to then replace that in the passing game, which I think the Bills come into play here. Okay, you didn't have a dominant running back. You got it, though, in the form of wide receiver. We saw what A.J. Brown did for the Philadelphia Eagles. They did the same thing you're talking, right? You take the land of the unknown, the draft pick, you turn it into a proven commodity. Personally, I love that philosophy. I would take that every single year. But what I'm getting at is if the Giants turn the focus more, to your point, Daniel Jones, we're a believer in his arm. We want the offense now to transition more from the ground to his aerial attack. Can you flip the switch, you think, in the span of a season where the wide receiver, if you make the splash, comes in and can make up for what maybe you're lacking in the backfield? That's a great one. I, I think, yes, mostly. Um, I don't know that it's a full transformation, but it should be in their thought process because again when the investment changes in the quarterback and let's just for the sake of this conversation assume that's going to be the case it's going to work out and daniel jones is going to have a franchise level contract well then other decisions you make to make sure you're maximizing that investment go in line with that and and yes i think being more of a throw you know a, 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 a not only a a throwing offense, an offense that, and Dayball does believe in balance, but when he, when, as Josh Allen ascended, you saw what they did. It, they became a Josh first offense. It wasn't just a pass first offense. It was a Josh first offense because Josh also has that running dimension. And, and you saw a lot of that with Ken Dorsey as the OC this year, maybe even more so, but it, it should be a, a, it should be related to that 
And then the balance of the offense has to come in the form of, you know, utilizing maybe the, the kind of receivers that can also give you jet sweep help, uh, all the things that I know Dave all knows about that and, and utilize to some extent with Isaiah McKenzie, but he didn't really have like, you know, the, I, I'm going to say Devo Samuel, um, uh, Montgomery, you know, th those we, we've seen those dimensions that can be put into an offense as a receiver slash runner hybrid. Um, but he's, he's open-minded enough to know that you could, you've got to evolve And this offense, this giant offense, just like his offense in Buffalo and, and it should happen with each team is, and it doesn't, I guess, but it should evolve. There's you're going to, you should see different things about this. Offense. We, we should be having a, a conversation in the course of the season where we say, wow, this is, this is look at the Giants offense. Now they're doing this, this, and this. Obviously, you'll have a better conversation if it's successful, but you, I think you are going to see some transformation there, no doubt. That really fingers off into the area I wanted to go in with you, Vic. I want to ask you about Brian Dable. You know him so well from his time with the Bills and you being up there. In retrospect, how surprised are you that he was able to turn this Giants team around so quickly, win a bunch of Coach of the Year awards, and, and how well do you think he is suited to continue growing over the long term and sustain this success? I would be lying if I said uh, I wasn't surprised uh, because it, it, the challenge seems so great. And when I say that, it's not because I doubted Brian's ability to be an effective and, and good head coach. I thought he'd bring all that knowledge and all that skill to the table, but what did he have to work with? And like, I, I want to speak for you, but like you, like, you know, like Lance, like so many others, I had no clue what the quarterback thing was going to be. And that's where, that's what it all came down to. Um, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll show incremental improvement as a, he'll, you know, the team will, will make some incremental improvement, but then it'll have a limit and they're going to have to still figure the quarterback thing out. And then I became worried for him because I said, you know, you only get so much time uh, to prove yourself as a coach. What happened with him was amazing, um, more because what he did with Jones and what he did with this offense, and and I and I know he won't take all the credit. It's it's spread out, it, but it speaks to how well, how ready he was for this challenge, even more so than those of us who are who know him and support what he does. And you know, I I loved on, on regularly on either Sunday nights or Monday, we had our text exchanges after a Giants, you know, win and, you know, the congrats and all this and, you know, happy for you and all. And, and it got to be a thing. Like, like I felt like, then I felt like I said, okay, I did this once and twice. Then I said, how many more times I'm going to do it? Hell, it ended up being a lot. And it was great. <laughs> it was, it was enjoyable because you root for that. He's, he's, he's got that earthy, that basic relatable thing. And, you know, be, having, I'm not from Buffalo, but spent most of my life in the Buffalo area and, he he speaks to that as a true Western New Yorker that so many people could embrace. So you had all the fever of the Bills, but you had going along right with that, the joy and support for Brian Dable. Vic, I want to piggyback off of the dynamics that were in play last season, because I think what also jumps out to me in retrospect is the way the Giants went about the hiring process, bringing in Joe Shane and then, Shane ultimately bringing in somebody he has familiarity with. And you've seen this from around the league. When you have that strong rapport between GM and head coach and 
I think you could say it's true in Buffalo. Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, you know, how that really can maybe accelerate the development of your roster when two individuals are in line with one another. And, you know, this is a big offseason for Joe Shane. This is really his first opportunity to put his stamp on this team in conjunction with what Dable envisions they want to run on offense and defense and how critical you think looking back that was to maybe have them a bit ahead of the curve than most people had anticipated. Oh, you, you nailed it, Lance. Um, it, you have to have the single singular common vision of coach and GM, and it is not as easy as one might think. Uh, and I don't know if people think it's easy, but I think it, it's it's easy to sort of look back and say, well, okay, well, that's what they're supposed to do. The head coach, the GM, they got to work together. GM gets some players, coach coaches them, and, and they know what they want. No, it doesn't always work out that way. And show me where it fails in the NFL. And again, we could find any number of situations through history, and I could show you either full-out dysfunction or at least a level of disconnect. Uh, between coach and GM that didn't exist with the Giants those two came in together with an understanding of what the program would look like and the time they spent in the same building in Buffalo what they were part of what they saw made it a lot easier it's not about working with your buddy it's about working with someone you trust and and who's thinking um, aligns with what you want done Uh, that's really the key to all of this because there should also be disagreement. It's healthy. Uh, Brandon Bean and and Sean McDermott worked together in Carolina. Uh, under, you know, obviously became had a relationship that was built there. And yes, the the dotted line was drawn as soon like when when uh, McDermott was hired first in 2007 uh, in January, and and then Bean comes along a little bit later. But it wasn't necessarily as automatic as people thought, even though. Somebody said, well, Bean will end up following him to Buffalo, which he did. But, I, you know, you would later find out that Bean separately had his interview with ownership, showed his ideas that it, that made them believe he was the right hire. And then beyond all that is, um, in fact, I even had a conversation with him that uh, Bean, where he he admitted publicly, he said, look, I'm if it went the other way around, I couldn't guarantee you that I would have automatically said Sean should be our coach. I'd He'd be on the list. I'd consider him, but he'd be looking at this wide lens of, of coaching possibilities because if they asked me, ownership asked me as a GM to do that, I would. Now, their marriage has been, I think, highly successful, obviously, the, the results in the field. They do disagree. They, they acknowledge the disagreements, but then they talk it out and ultimately find the right place to land on what needs to be done. I think they have a successful team. And look, they're facing a challenge. Bouncing out of the playoffs yet another year uh, is not the way they want this to go. There's a lot of pressure to finally see this thing through and figure it out. And they've got a lot of holes uh, for a team that was a Super Bowl or bust team going into the 22 season. Man, um, after that loss to Cincinnati, and it put a bright light on multiple areas that have to be fixed. Oh, yeah. And you're 16 million over the cap right now. Big final question for me, and I'm going to go off the Giants and go broad-based NFL question. As we begin the combine, put on your prediction cap here. What is going to be the biggest story that comes out of this week in Indianapolis? I think traditionally 
it's always the the contract discussions that are happening, free agent contract discussions that are happening simultaneously with the activity of college talent evaluation. And this year as much as, if not more than others, because of the quarterbacks involved. I think the news that's going to pop uh, daily, probably beginning as, you know, as early in the week as possible, Monday, Tuesday, will be, you know, when the agents converge, and they sit with those GMs and, you know, you, you know, if you've been to a combine, when you're walking through the hotel lobbies and you and out of the corner of your eye, you're paying attention, but you're, you're trying to not totally eavesdrop, but you see, the, you see that GM, you see that agent and you know what they're talking about. You know what the topic is. And it's not about the weather in Indianapolis and it's not about the hotel service. It's, you know, so, so that's, that usually is what dominates. Um, well, I'm sure there will be a, a prospect story here and there that comes out. And, you know, it, 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 the other thing that might be something to watch, I don't think it'll dominate, but I think at least as an undercurrent, the, the comments that Demora Smith made about the combine, right, when he when he spoke at the Super Bowl about it and, and really talked about it being something that either A, needs to be done away with altogether, which, again, I don't think will happen, but needs to be refined and revised because he feels it's not the most dignified thing or dignified at all to put, to, to have college players have their first introduction to the league, be that, be this, you know, the intensive questions they get and all that. But the opposite end of that is teams are going to be making investments, want to know what they're investing in. And this is, you know, one of the, the tools of that. I will say medically uh, the, the medical evaluation, every and you guys have heard this too. Every everybody who's been involved in the NFL who's worth his salt says, if you got nothing else out of the week in Indianapolis, it is those uh, medical results, the the examinations that they get of injuries and so forth, or health issues that have been maybe hidden. and uh, And they've got a wonderful setup there with the uh, Indiana University Medical Center and how it's all can you know really convenient. I know there's been talk about moving the combine, but man, they've got like a really good condensed setup there that allows those to happen. And the information that's gleaned from that is what the teams, you know, they said if they did away with everything else, the workouts, the TV show that comes out of it, give us that, you know, they, they'd they be happy with it. But um, but yeah, that, I think that's, an, that's a secondary story to the headlines that we can expect about free agents, quarterbacks, whoever it might be, Carr, Rodgers, you know, uh, right down Lamar Jackson, right down the line. The NFL cycle never slows down. 365 <laughs> days, 24-7. And Vic Carucci knows that very well. You can hear him on Sirius XM NFL Radio. He covers the NFL and the Bills for WGRZ-TV in Buffalo. And he will be in Indianapolis listening in to those agents and the conversations that may be happening over the next few days. Vic, always a blast. Pleasure. Greatly appreciate the time and the insight. I'm sure our fan base is certainly... Very happy to hear what you provided, perhaps, that we could get a glimpse out of Buffalo and definitely look forward to uh, chatting in the near future here. Safe travels, Vic. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure to be both of, uh, with both of you, and we'll talk down the line. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
Thanks again to Vic Carucci providing some great insight on what the Giants may do this offseason. So from this point on, we're going to transition to answering some of your Twitter questions. Also go around the NFL and discuss some things that could very well impact the Giants and the NFC East. But first, a few reminders before we move forward here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Make sure you go subscribe to the Giants Huddle podcast. It features a variety of different reactions from various guests, which we will turn our attention to over the course of the offseason. But during the season, we give you a full breakdown heading in to every matchup. Giants fans, take your fandom to the next level with a season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And last but not least, the Giants official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV is free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. All right, Paul, let's open the conversation up to Twitter, hashtag Giants chat for the future. And we certainly will continue to monitor this throughout the offseason. We appreciate the interaction from all of our listeners and viewers. So this comes from Michael. And a very good question. With the exception of Wandell Robinson, what guy coming off of IR is potentially the biggest contributor next season? And clearly, Paul, unfortunately, the Giants dealt with their fair share of injuries. We look at Wandell Robinson with a lot of intrigue. But I'll start with you. Who else to you maybe is appealing that you think comes back and can put his stamp on this team? Yeah, well, for me, it's really, really easy. It's Cincinnati uh, linebacker uh, Darian Beavers, who, you know, was drafted in the sixth round last year, had such a terrific training camp. I loved him coming out of school. And I think the fact that he was so versatile with the Bearcats actually hurt his draft stock because they needed him in so many different places. And he was able to excel in all of those different places that he wasn't a master of one. And I think that's what hurt him. He would have been drafted a lot higher, I think, if they had just been able to leave him in one spot so that he could polish and develop his game as, as an alpha, so to speak. And that didn't happen. So the Giants get lucky, in my opinion, get him in the sixth round. He has a wonderful training camp. And in the preseason, he blows out his knee and, and has to go to IR for the year. You know, for me, Lance, I really thought he had a quick ascension coming. I thought there was a real chance he might even be the starting inside linebacker opening day and maybe a couple weeks in, if not during week one. I don't think it was going to be too long before he took that job. And even Joe Shane after the season admitted that they thought that that was a possibility. He seemed to certainly be on track to provide stiff competition, if not seize the spot himself. So hoping that his medicals are going really, really well. I don't know that. We haven't heard a word about him, but I hope they're going really well and that he hits the ground running at training camp. And wouldn't it be something to see him, you know, in that starting line of week one? If not then, maybe a month in. Again, who knows? But I'd like to believe that Darian Beavers can be a significant contributor in 23. And there's an opportunity, to your point, at that position because he could yes. come in and make an immediate impact. The other thing that's important to note, and you were alluding to this, remember, he spent time at two different colleges throughout yep. his collegiate years. So, you know, that, of course, adds up to versatility. But at the same time, 
it's hard to see where he would fit in because I think you saw half of the resume at UConn, half of the resume at Cincy, and you didn't necessarily know where that was going to click. So that adds an extra layer of intrigue if the Giants could get him back to full health and maybe tap into that skill set. Wondell Robinson is the guy that would be atop my list, Paul, but I know that the tweeter said we can't utilize that. So for the sake of not <laughs> repeating your player, because Beavers would be high on my list, here's another one I want to throw out, and I feel like it's somebody – not that most Giants fans and us who cover the team have forgotten about, but so much has happened since he got hurt. Aaron Robinson at cornerback. We've talked so many things throughout the season about the Fabian Moros and right all the other young guys right that stepped up, Paul. We forget Aaron Robinson is still on this roster. Unfortunately, clearly he was dealing with a knee issue, and hopefully he can recover. But I don't think the Giants are moving on from him. I think there's still potential. There's upside. He's young. We know he has the ability to maybe play inside and outside. They can use definitely another staple opposite of Dory Jackson. Robinson has shown some flashes from the time that he was on the field. So it's not as much projection as some of these other guys, maybe even a Wandell Robinson who had a relatively small sample size. I'd sign up for Aaron Robinson, assuming he can turn the corner and get back to full health. You know, Lance, I think that's a great pick as well because – this is a guy who's a former third-round pick. So let's not make any bones about this. When they drafted him in the third round, they saw him as a potential competitive guy who could seize a starting spot. That's what you use your first three picks for in the draft. You want guys who could potentially be starters. So he was not a reach. This is a guy with length, with speed, with a knack for the ball. He's tough. He's willing to play the run. Look, I was saying all along when James Bradbury became a salary cap cut that I thought Robinson could be that guy to step up. I wasn't so so uh, devastated when the Giants didn't go and draft another high corner because I really thought Robinson was going to be the guy. And unfortunately, as we've uh, documented, he got injured and his season was lost uh, again. We believe his his medicals now. We know a little bit about him because he was in the locker room during the course of the season. And he did have his procedure. And as far as he seemed to be telling us, everything was going according to plan, that he was optimistic. And he expects to be a full go at training camp. And so we'll see exactly where he's at. But I think that's a really good pick as well. The other thing that's a common element, Paul, with the three players that we threw out here is – all of these players were drafted. And what have we been talking about, Paul, right? If this team is continuing to progress in the right direction and have that stabilizing force, your draft classes, not one year's class, your multiple years have to all continue the trajectory of moving up. And that's what I can't overlook in discussing Beavers and Robinson and Aaron Robinson. We're not talking about players that have been here forever, not that far removed from the draft. If you can get them on the field, Think about how much that alleviates what's on the plate of Joe Shane and Brian Dable in terms of what they have to go out and target in free agency. I'll give you a dark horse guy here. I know the, the reader did not ask for one, but Dane Belton, who was nicked up this year and was unable to play the whole season, but, but we certainly saw enough from him to believe that he has some ups. Again, another draft choice from last season. And when you consider that Julian Love is an unrestricted free agent, 
We know the Giants are going to need to try to take care of Barkley and Jones. Julian Love says he wants to be here. The Giants obviously want him. They've already started talking to him. But what if that doesn't work out? And they've got to replace that safety spot next to Xavier McKinney. Well, Dane Belton, certainly Pinnock is certainly a guy who will have something to say about that. But Belton might wind up being the opening day starter. And another player similar to Beavers who had that versatility coming from Iowa, they tapped into his skill set, moved him around. So, you know, that's somebody that I think the fact that you got him exposure in year one. And remember, he was dealing with the injury in training camp, came in. Paul, yes. remember, he gets on special teams. He recovers a fumble early on in his career. Yeah, he his seemed first to make play. a really correct, good, small, strong transition. So I think that bodes well for him in terms of what he could do in year two. So that was my Twitter question. We did a tag team effort in preparing for the show. So the floor is yours now. Oliver Shuniman wants to know, should the Giants take a look at free agent wide receiver Robert Woods? Now, this is a fellow who is a former 1,000-yard receiver in the league. He's been around with a few organizations. We know he is right now an unrestricted free agent after being cut by the Tennessee Titans. But, you know, he's far removed from that 1,000-yard season that he had some years back. And we do know about the Buffalo connection with with Shane and Dable, you know, when he was in Buffalo. I get all of that. But in recent years, we've seen that decline in production. He's been around for a while. I would say that in a golf term, he's on the back nine. Um, only had about 50 catches last year and only averaged about 10 yards a catch. To me, the Giants need to add some size and some deep threat capability to that wide receiving core. And Woods, I think right now, for me, Lance, is more of a possession guy who would be lower on the depth chart. He's a savvy piece that maybe if somebody needs that fourth or fifth receiver to plug in to kind of fill out their chart, that's where he fits best for me. I don't think he necessarily should be a Giants target right now. In fact, if I were the Giants, I'd be looking at somebody, if you wanted to take a flyer here on a guy who's available right now, DJ Chart for me, who also is a former 1,000-yard receiver and has a higher average yards per catch these days, a lot younger, has also had some injuries. But that might be a guy who I'd be a little more inclined to take a look at. Former Jacksonville Jaguar was with the Lions last season. I think he gives you a little bit more of maybe what you're lacking currently in the receiving core. I think Robert Woods' dip in numbers, Paul, though, part of that is – a product of the quarterbacks in Tennessee. Remember, Ryan Tannehill missed some time. So sure. I don't know if I'd hold that all against him, but I would agree with you. I think if you look at the Giants receiving court right now, and we were talking about Wondell Robinson coming back. Okay, well, there's a guy that could play out of this slot, right? So there's a little bit of carryover between him and Robert Woods. We don't know what's going to happen with a Richie James because he's a pending free agent. We don't know also, Paul, what's going to happen with Sterling Shepard, who's another player that was hurt. So, I mean, it's possible. Or Darius Slayton. Gary Slater, too, but I look at him more of that size guy, stretch the field, right, not necessarily right. a slot guy. So what I was getting at is there may be an opportunity for somebody who does operate out of the slot to make an impact. It's possible, depending on what plays out. But if you look at need right now on paper, you need somebody that gives you a little bit more versatility in terms of going up, making those jump ball catches, those 50-50 contested catches, becomes a red zone threat, 
And I think that would probably best suit them. If you're going to go out and you're going to spend a little money, Paul, I guess is my point. You're going to utilize right. some of your resources. I think it's better suited doing that as opposed to bringing in somebody that overlaps with some of the current skill sets of the personnel in that receiving court. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Because the question becomes, if you're Joe Shane, do you look more to upgrade the style of guys that you have and try to get more production that way? Or do you try to add production out of your receiving core by getting someone who has an alternate skill set? Yeah. And that's where I'm thinking, and it sounds like you kind of feel the same way. Yeah, and I think a lot of it also depends on how does this scheme evolve, Paul? Are they looking at their offense, assuming Daniel Jones is back, taking more chances down the field, which is where a deep threat, to your point, a guy that could stretch the field, comes in extremely to be beneficial. Remember, what is the one thing that the Giants were lacking in the passing game this past season? Explosive plays. Now, right. whether it comes on the ground or through the air, you need the high volume of 20-plus yard plays because you can't expect to go down the field 10 plays, 80 yards every single drive and play clean football and avoid penalties. It's just it's not feasible in today's NFL. Well, again, we know that Slayton is a free agent, and he was the Giants' big play threat because he averaged over 15 yards a catch which was among the top 10 in the league. In fact, for most of the season, he was in the top five of the league in average yards per catch based on qualifiers. But he is an unrestricted free agent, and we really don't know what their appetite is for bringing him back. I love what Isaiah Hodgins did over the second half of the season, but in a perfect world, he's your number two guy. He's not your number one guy. He's not your alpha who's going to be going 15 yards a catch and, and making those speed plays and stretching the field. In a perfect world, he's more like what Thielen was to Jefferson in Minnesota, if that makes any sense in terms of a comparison. That's fair. Yeah. And Thielen, remember, was the number one guy before Jefferson came into the mix, but right. things changed, roles changed. So Isaiah Hodgins really operated, Paul, right, as the number one guy this year. But if you improve the receiving core, it's understandable that there's movable parts. And He should change. be a Robin, Lance. He should be a Robin, not a Batman. He's, yes, the Batman. We've always had that conversation with pass rushers, right? Yes, you want to have. have Batman and you want to have Robin. And sometimes it's not necessarily easy to be able to capitalize and gain both. I will say this. If we're talking about Robert Woods, Paul, to circle back and put a bow on this conversation in the context of he maybe is your fourth option, that's not a bad position to be in. Meaning you address perhaps the skyscraper. You have Hodgins, you have Wilder Robinson, and Robert Woods is a guy, you don't have to play him ultra snaps, but you bring him in, he's good insurance for injury. I mean, that's a great veteran presence to have in your locker room too at the end of the day. And, and I guess I wouldn't discount it as long as they're able to fill that primary hole higher on the sure. depth chart first. Absolutely. That's why I'm saying fourth, fifth option is you file right. out your receiving core. Just like right. you could argue, hey, if you want to bring back a Darius Slade and a Richie James, and we're talking about depth, then there's value there too, since they also have familiarity with the scheme. But the priority is you also want to infuse some new talent into the mix. Now, speaking of infusing new talent and new faces, I want to transition to something unrelated to the Giants, but does relate to them, and some movement we've seen in the NFC East. And this was something we wanted to tackle on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. So for those of you keeping tally at home, this is the longest teaser in the history of Big Blue <laughs> Kickoff Live. But we're finally going to respond and answer and fulfill the teaser, and that was that the commanders officially hired 
Eric Bieniemy as their offensive coordinator and assistant head coach. And he spoke to the media. And this does impact the Giants, Paul, because they're going to see Washington twice. It's not Scott Turner's offense. They're handing the reins to a completely different individual. Coincidentally, Mike Kafka was with him in Kansas City. We saw what Kafka did for the Giants. The enemy is, of course, looking to make the same level of impact in Washington. And I'm interested, just from a pure football standpoint, to see what the enemy could do as the primary play caller. Because we've seen the narrative has been he's had an impact, but Andy Reid is at the controls. Well, look at the pre-snap motion, Paul, that they utilize. Look at how they tapped into all the different mm -hmm. personnel, which was what we were talking about, right, with what Kafka could bring to the Giants. They've got Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, the rookie out of Penn State, Curtis Samuel, who's a guy you could use out of the backfield as a runner and receiver, Brian Robinson, great story coming back from, unfortunately, the gunshot wound and really making a name for himself. They're not lacking weapons, is my point, in that offense. they got to find the quarterback, but the enemy's got some toys in the shed that he can definitely move around there. Here's what's interesting. You mentioned the quarterback, and, and I think that's where it all starts for me because – you know, Ron Rivera has talked about how Sam Howell is the front runner going into the clubhouse right now. Well, when Howell came out of North Carolina, he was lauded for his ability to run the ball because in a, in a lot of ways he's like Josh Allen. He's sturdy. He's built more like a tight end or a running back than he is a quarterback. And so when he was at North Carolina, you know, he ran for almost a dozen touchdowns his last year with the Tar Heels. I mean, he will take off, and he's strong, and he's fierce, and he's a competitor. He's smart. Um, you know, he, he's got an average arm, but he can, he's accurate. You know, so there are a lot of things that you can utilize with him, and some certainly because of his legs and his ability to do that kind of stuff, if you want to lean and gravitate towards having a more multiple, versatile quarterback attack, you could do that with him, probably more so than you could with Wentz or Heineken, okay? At least I think so, because how how really was a, a running quarterback to run? He ran forward. He wanted to become part of that rushing attack, not just a guy like Heineken who's trying to buy time to throw the ball. So I'm very interested to see what kind of philosophy – the enemy brings to the commanders in light of Powell's skill set. I think that's an interesting point because Heineke had that mobility, but they didn't utilize him to the degree that Howell was used in UNC. And maybe that's something that the enemy does find attractive because Patrick Mahomes, I wouldn't consider him a running quarterback, Paul, but let's face it, there's games where they give him the green light and he takes off and yes. that can all of a sudden change field position. And, the enemy has had that luxury over the course of the last few seasons. I also wonder if part of the conversation with them bringing him in is they spoke to him about how Patrick Mahomes was handled in 2017. Remember, Paul, I think a lot of people tend to forget Alex Smith was there when they drafted Mahomes. He did not play until the final week of that regular season. And remember, mm -hmm. he played because the Chiefs locked up a playoff spot. They had nothing to gain. From that right. last game, right? So they figured, all right, let's throw Mahomes out there. You let him gain some experience. And then 2018, he takes over. The rest is history. Do they also look at the enemy's experience at Kansas City? And maybe this is why you shouldn't read so much into what Ron Rivera is talking about in January or February, because a lot changes, obviously, in the months ahead. But And this is maybe me reading too much into it as well. But 
perhaps Howell is intriguing to them. They want to further develop him, but they still want to lean more on a veteran presence. And maybe it's not Wentz. Maybe Washington is one of those teams, Paul, that goes out, pursues a Derek Carr, tries to make a splash. They're just not wearing it on their sleeve right now. I just, I would not rule that out. You never know. I mean, look, there are probably a, a handful, all right? It depends on what you think of Mayfield and, and, and you know, I, uh, there are a couple of guys who are a on the fringe. Vets. Right. There are but a couple of guys on the fringe who are under the Carr, Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, you know, then you get to Daniel Jones. And there's, there's, there's a couple of other guys there who are lower on the fringe who you could say, you know, there's no reason why they couldn't start for somebody. Heck, I'll be perfectly frank with you. I'm still not convinced that Andy Dalton is done. I think Andy Dalton can still start in this league and do a pretty good job for somebody. But, you know, he's, he's kind of fallen out of the headlines for the time being. So, yeah, could they suddenly decide that they're going to get themselves into a negotiation with one of these veteran free agent quarterbacks that people aren't even thinking about? And we find out the guy suddenly lands there and is going to be their guy. It absolutely could happen. Because you just wonder if Washington is in that crossroads situation, Paul. And what I mean by that is Ron Rivera, he's been there for a few seasons. They won the division one of the years. But of course, remember, that was the year where everybody in the NFC East was sub 500. So I don't know how much stock or substance you're putting in there. They were knocking on the door of the playoffs last year. Clearly, they made changes on the coaching staff because they're looking to upgrade. Is there more of an urgency, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And we've seen this from covering the league. Every team is different where Ron Rivera is saying, hey, I need to show results this year. And in order to show results, we need to bring in the more proven quarterback, right? As opposed to, I've got the luxury of, we let Sam Howell take over. Eric Bieniemy comes in. We develop him. I'm just wondering if time is of the essence is what I'm getting at, Paul, right now to Ron Rivera's perspective. Throw a potential ownership change into that equation. That's too. another true. Absolutely. And how does yeah. that kind of turn up the mix in, in, in another different way? Well, I'm glad you went there because we don't know the timeline. Maybe ownership transfers over smack in the middle of the season. Maybe it happens before the season starts. Case in point, Paul, Denver had a transfer of ownership, right? We just saw the Broncos have a sale and what yeah. happened. I'm not saying that this was the major influence why they went in a different direction, but Nathaniel Hackett only lasted one season and they brought in John Payton as a result. Once again, different dynamics, Russell Wilson, high expectations, I don't want to say it was equivalent. It's just, let's not be naive. What we're getting at is there's a lot of influences and factors that determine what direction a team wants to go at quarterback. And Washington, I just feel they're a wild card team. A little bit unpredictable because I can see them go in different directions. And the enemy's <laughs> presence also adds another layer to this because he's yes. also, right? He's looking to prove himself, right? Isn't a big part of why he went to Washington, Paul? I want to no show... Doubt. Not only that I can be a head coach, but I can call the plays and make as much of an impact as Andy Reid. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt. And, and it's interesting for me as I look at the Giants in this NFC East and I see Washington is really in a state of flux. I see that Philadelphia's got a bunch of veterans who are now uh, in expired contracts. And they've got to figure out now how much turnover are they going to have from a team that went to the Super Bowl 
Okay. They've also got to figure out, they've been talking about maybe giving Hertz uh, an extension, which is going to cost them a pretty penny. Then you've got Dallas, which is already way over the salary cap, and they've got a lot of economic juggling to do. This this division right now during the offseason is always is going to have a lot of volatility, Lance. Which is nothing new when it comes to the NFC. So, Paul, <laughs> are you telling me that I should not remove myself or separate myself from my favorite statistic, which is the fact that we're going to get another new division winner in 2023? Is that what you're yeah. telling me? Yeah, I, I suspect uh, the the odds are pretty good that we're going to see some uh, some significant shuffling going on in 2023. <laughs> I would echo those sentiments, and just for good measure, remember nobody's won back to back division titles in the NFC East since the Eagles won four in a row from 2001 to 2004. For those of you checking at home, it's now 2023. It has been quite some time, which is of course good news for the New York Giants as they are trying to build off a very impressive campaign in year one. For Brian Dable. All right, that is going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody tuning in. So here is what is on tap for the remainder of the week. Paul Dottino will be transferring his presence to Indianapolis as he will be making his presence felt at the Combine with John Schmelk. We'll have live shows Tuesday through Friday. Paul, do we have the specifics in terms of the times for each day on that front? We, we will maintain our 12.30 p.m. Eastern time, one-hour program throughout the course of the Combine. And we certainly uh, look forward to folks. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, I don't know how many calls we'll be able to take because we'll have a lot of guests out there. But by all means, do go hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter, and we'll see if we can filter those in. So there you go. So stay locked to Giants.com as well as Big Blue Kickoff Live for all the latest coming out of Indianapolis at the Combine. And a reminder, when it comes to this program, it is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks so much for tuning in to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. And we will speak to you from Indianapolis the rest of the week here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.